Thank you for downloading this podcast from the Freedom Centre Church in Preston. As I say, we're going to uh, continue our series roaming through Romans, although this morning it's a bit more like, do you remember, well you probably don't remember because you're all so young, uh, in the Falklands they, they talked about you know, when they were landed in the one side of the Falklands and they had to get to the other side where Port Stanley was, they had to not just walk, they had to yomp with all their gear on and everything else. And it's a bit like that this morning. We're not going to roam through Romans. We're going to yomp through <laughs> the book of Romans. And, uh, but we're just going to take two or three verses, or just four or five verses. Uh, four verses from Romans chapter 10. And uh, they should, yes, there they are. And uh, Romans chapter 10, verses 1 through 4. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted to the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. And then chapter 11, just uh, chapter 11, verse 1 and, uh, and verse 2, and yeah, part of verse 2. I say then, has God cast away his people? Certainly not, Paul says, for I also am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham for the tribe of Benjamin. God has not cast away his people whom he foreknew. And the reason for reading these verses will become obvious uh, as we go through, as we yomp through (laughs) chapters 9, 10, and 11. It's been great to hear some of you tell me you've been reading the book of Romans. Romans is a fabulous, brilliant book. It's not always easy to understand, but it is good. And uh, what I would suggest to you, if you're struggling understanding it, is to get one of these Bibles called The Message. And uh, it's very good to be able to break break things down a little bit and uh, be able to get some understanding of what Paul's trying to say to the church at Rome, but also to you and I and the Christian world uh, and the Gentile world at large. So I'm going to try and give you an overview of these brilliant two or three chapters this morning. Paul now deals in his writing of this letter with the subject of Israel. And he speaks of the Jewish people and their rejection of Jesus. You remember it was the Jews who crucified Jesus on the cross. It's to do with these chapters, God's relationship with them, and indeed our relationship with them, us being Gentile Christians, them being Jews. Please remember, the Bible is our moral compass for our soul. If you are not reading your Bible, then you are not getting Whoa. (laughs) You're not getting direction for your life. You're not getting fed. The Bible's not God's recommendations. The Bible is God's truth. 
But often it's the last place we go to get the truth that we need for our lives. And this book was written by, believe it or not, 40 different authors. 40, 4-0 different authors. From kings to peasants. It was written in palaces. It was written in dungeons. It was written in the wilderness. It was written on three continents. Written in three different languages. And it feeds us in the year 2016. Try reading it for a week and watch the reaction in your life. It's a bestseller. Throughout history, it's been a bestseller because it is an anointed book. 17 historical books in the Bible. Five poetical books in the Bible. 17 books of prophecy in the Bible. Four Gospels and 21 epistles. People have died for it, suffered for it, and lived for it. And we, in our walks, and I keep saying this and I always will say it, we need to apply it to our lives, we need to listen to it, we need to read it, obey it, learn from it. And in this book, it tells me, tells you, the very beginning, chapter 1 in Genesis, verse 1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth doesn't explain it, doesn't justify it. He just says he did it. And in Psalm 24, David says, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. The earth is God's. It tells us that God has the title on this planet. It tells us that God created the earth. And it tells us that God being the owner, that it tells us that the creator... He created man, he created woman, and he created a covenant with man. First of all, with Adam. And then further on in the Old Testament, he has covenants with Noah, Abraham, Moses, and David. He has covenants. You know the Bible's made up of the Old Testament and the New Testament. I think we, we all know that, don't we? We can start from there. The Old Testament... And the New Testament. Testament means covenant. They both mean contract, treaty, pact, accord, sentiment, a legal instruction. Old and New Testament, old and new covenants. The Hebrew root word for covenant means to cut. So God's covenant, his contract with Abraham, resulted in something painful called circumcision. We'll not go too far down that road, but that was a sign of a covenant, a cut. Genesis 17 verse 11, and you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me, God, and you, my people. Then later on in history, At Mount Sinai, Moses cut the animal, put the blood on the altar and on the people as a sign that they had entered into a Mosaic covenant with God. So actually, the, the story of the Old and the New Testaments is the story of the Old and the New Covenants. You with me so far? Yeah, good. And it's God basically consistently trying to keep a relationship, a covenant with his creation. And the story constantly through the Old Testament is the people consistently prostituting themselves 
and denying the covenant that they had entered into. We, being Christians, are under the new covenant. You know that. The covenant, the covenant of Christ in the New Testament. Because Jesus was cut, pierced, his blood shed on the altar of the cross. And when we as sinners apply that blood to our lives, rather than on the doorpost like the Israelites did in Egypt, we enter into that new covenant. And death, praise God, passes over us. With me still? Yes? You know, the Israelites painted the blood, and so the death angel would pass over them. Well, when Christ was on the cross, as we, he, he shed his blood, and when we take advantage of that blood and apply it into our lives, the death angel passes over us. We have a future. We have an eternity because of the blood of Christ. See, the Old Testament is always a foreshadow of the New Testament. It's a type that's fulfilled totally in the New Testament, under the New Covenant. And it's a New Testament that we benefit from that New Covenant, that Testament. Hebrews 9.15 puts it this way, And for this reason, he is the mediator of the New Covenant by means of death, Jesus, for the redemption of the transgressions under the First Covenant, that those who are called may receive the promise of the eternal inheritance. The New Covenant means when we apply the blood of Jesus to our lives, we are set free, we are free to leave Egypt the world, and we have a promised land. Verse 16, for where there is a testament, there is also of necessity by the death, there is also of necessity by the death of the testator, for a testament is enforced after men are dead, since it has no power at all while the testator lives. In other words, there's no benefit for you being in someone's will until they die. (laughs) I don't want people to die, obviously. (laughs) Uh, But whoever you eventually will get some money from or some property or some items of jewelry or whatever it is from your parents, your grandparents, whatever, they have to die before the will comes into force. Well, a contract that God has made with man, Jesus died that we might enter into the new covenant. If he hadn't died, we wouldn't get the benefits of him, what he has given us through the work of the cross. And because he's died, we have the right to receive the benefit of the contract if we have received or we will receive what has been offered to us. You can be in the will and decide you're not going to receive. You can be a benefactor of a will and tell the lawyer, I'm sorry, I don't want that from them. I won't receive that from them. And so what happens is, what you, the share you would have had goes back into the estate. Not many people turn down what they're offered in a will, because they've got some sense. But some people turn down what Christ offers. You understand? 
So you can be in the will and not receive what has been bequeathed to you. You can reject it. And so therefore you miss the benefit, you miss the blessing of what has been given to you as your inheritance. That is so true with people in this world today. We are receiving the inheritance of what Christ has died to give us. And yet others out there, not interested. We are under the covenant of grace, the undeserved favor, but we have to receive it. Now, I don't know what your attitude towards the Jewish people is, but I hope you do know that without Israel, without the Jewish people, you would not have your salvation. Please remember, Jesus was a Jew. Romans 15 verse 27 tells us we are debtors to the Jews. Jesus says in John 4 verse 22, salvation is of the Jews. God has a plan for this world and it includes the Jews. Logically, the Jews should not exist. Logically, the the Jews should be ignored. They're a tiny fraction of the people in this world. Mark Twain put it this way. He said, Properly, the Jew ought hardly to be heard of. But he is heard of, has always been heard of. He is as prominent on the planet as any other people. And his commercial importance is extravagantly, extravagantly out of proportion to the smallness of his bulk. His contributions to the world's list of great names in literature, science, art, music, finance, medicine, learning, are also way out of proportion to the weakness of his numbers. Mark Twain says, He has made a marvelous fight in this world in all ages and has done it with his hands tied behind his back. And then he asks a question, a poignant question. Mark Twain asks, All things are mortal, But the Jew, all other forces pass, but he remains. What is the secret of his immortality? Well, if you know your Bible, you'll know what the answer is. The answer is the Jewish God, Jehovah. That's the one constant in all their history. Without him, they would have been obliterated centuries ago. He has, he, God, has never left them. He has never forsaken them because they are part of his plan for eternity. He has a covenant with Abraham and his descendants. Even though they have often left him, he has never left them. Even when they have forsaken him, he has never forsaken them. So it shouldn't be a surprise to us to know that Satan hates the Jews. You just need to read the story of Hitler to know how much the Jews are hated. He hates them. But God loves them. Now, I don't believe in replacement theology. What's replacement theology? Glad you asked. Replacement theology teaches that when the Jews murdered crucified Christ, rejected Christ, that was the day that the church, the Christian church, the emerging Christian church, people of the way, they called them in the New Testament, that was the day, some people believe, that the church replaced Israel. 
I don't believe that. Why do I not believe that? Well, chapter 11, verse 1 tells us. Paul says, has God cast away his people? Paul says, certainly not. Verse 2, God has not cast away his people whom he foreknew. It means that God has a plan for the Jewish people. Even when they were displaced from the land in 70 AD, they returned and reappeared and reestablished in that amazing year that none of us remember, maybe one or two, 1948. The, th- the miracle of a nation appearing right in the middle of where they were least wanted. A desert flourishing, as the Bible prophesied. Economically strong, military strong. Shouldn't exist logically, but actually it thrives. And let me, let me tell you a little secret. Terror groups will never, ever obliterate Israel. Iran's plan is to wipe the nation of Israel off the planet. It will never ever happen. Why? Because when you take on Israel, you take on God. Is Israel perfect? No. (laughs) We all know that. But it's because Israel has a covenant with God. And let me tell you a secret. God honors covenants in a way that we don't. So God doesn't honor Israel because they're perfect. He honors Israel because he has a covenant with them. God does not walk out of a covenant relationship. Just as the same with you. You see, your enemy, the devil, will never win against you. Because you're perfect? No. Because you have a covenant with God. So any person, any marriage, any family, any church that honors God, God will honor them. So God doesn't, God doesn't honor us because we're perfect. He honors us because we've stepped into a covenant, a blood covenant, a blood relationship with him. And that's why the enemy hasn't beaten us. And that's why Israel still exists. Because God has a covenant with them. He loves them. The Bible says they are the apple of his eye. I don't know about you, but I hate people coming near my eyes. I hate, do you know when, when, when I get dropped sometimes from the doctor and I've got to put them in my eye, it's like, no, no, I don't want to know. And I eventually have to get Susan to try and somehow get near me to put the, the drops in. Precious, your eyes. Well, Zechariah 2 verse 8 says, Israel is the apple of God's eye. They are precious to him. And what Paul is saying in this book of Romans is that we have a new covenant with God. And as Gentiles, as non-Jews, we have been grafted in, chapter 11, verse 19. And as it is with us, so it is with Israel. Because the message puts it this way, they are God's oldest friends. I think that's a wonderful way of putting it. God's oldest friends, and he will not break a covenant with them. So what's Paul saying in these chapters, 9, 10, 11? 
He's saying it might look as though the Jews are God's enemies to us Christians, but they aren't. At present, they are the enemies of the gospel. But because of their covenant, they are not the enemies of God. Chapter 11, verse 28 proves that. Let me just read it to you. Verse 28, concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sake. But concerning the election, they are beloved for the sake of the fathers. Ultimate father being Abraham. It might look to you as a Christian that we're in and they're out. But they're not out. Paul says, pray that the Jewish people might be saved. Chapter 10, verse 1, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. And when, when that happens, we call them Messianic Jews. Israelites of the new covenant. Jewish people who normally would stick to the Torah, the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, have suddenly realized that the person that they crucified and who was the Christ was Jesus. And when they come to that discovery, we call them Messianic Jews. And soon I went to a thriving church a couple of years ago. This church here. King of Kings Ministries, Jerusalem. Thriving, wonderful church who were meeting in a theater in a shopping center. And it was called King of Kings Community. Hundreds of people standing there worshiping Yeshua, Jesus. Jewish people Worshipping, worshipping Jesus. This is what the leaflet says. This is their mission. We are called to be a compelling, Messiah-centered, spirit-empowered, disciple-making community, revealing the true face of Yeshua, Jesus, to Israel and to the nations. Right in the very heart of Jerusalem, Jews worshipping Jesus. Paul says in verse 1, pray for the Jews. He says in verse 14, preach to the Jews. That's what they're doing. Verse 15, he says, send people to preach to the Jews. How shall they hear without a preacher? But then he tells us, verse 16, but they have not all obeyed the gospel. Paul says, God's hands are stretched out towards them, but they are disobedient. So has God rejected his old people and replaced them with his new people? No. I don't believe in replacement theology. The theology that the church has replaced Israel is wrong. Chapter 11, verse 1, as I told you, tells you it's not true. I don't believe in dual covenant theology either. What's dual covenant theology? Dual covenant theology teaches that the Jews don't need to be saved. That they'll automatically, along with those of us who have accepted Christ as our Savior, will go to heaven. That is not biblical either. All have fallen short of the glory of God. Jesus says, no one comes to the Father but by me. So, after all saying all of that, what do we believe? Number one, has God cast away his people, the Jewish people? No. Paul says in the message, God has been too long involved with Israel, has too much invested to simply wash his hands of them. We believe that his people have stumbled and fallen through their fall. Salvation has come to us. 
says it in verse 11 and verse 12. The default of the Jews rejecting Jesus is the Gentiles being offered to us. The Gentiles being offered Jesus to us. What do we believe? Israel, as the Bible says, has become thick-skinned against God, but they're not out for the count. We believe that one day their eyes will be opened. Chapter 11, verse 12, 25 tells us, blindness has happened to Israel, but one day soon they will suddenly be released and they will see what they've never seen before. Chapter 11, verse 26 to 27. And so all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the deliverer will come out of Zion, Jerusalem, and he will turn away ungodliness from Jacob. For this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. Zechariah 12, verse 10. And I will pour out on the house of David, David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace, and supplication. They will look on me, Jesus, the one they have pierced, and they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only child, and grieve bitterly for him as one grieves for a firstborn son. Chapter 13, verse 1. On that day, a fountain will be opened to the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to cleanse them from their sin and impurity. One day, Israel will be saved they will suddenly realize and see with their own eyes the Jesus that they crucified. And some people believe that's the end of the tribulation. Maybe one day we'll look at what the tribulation is, but suffice to say, Matthew 24, Jesus says, the disciples have just asked him, what's the sign of you coming again? And in chapter 24 of the book of Matthew, Jesus describes what that will be like. He says there's going to be a tribulation. Daniel in Daniel 12 says there'll be a tribulation that we have never, ever seen before. Joel says in Joel 2, a day of darkness and gloom such as has never been or ever will be. And during that time, the Bible teaches During that time of tribulation, the people of Israel will recognize who Jesus is, truly who he is. And one day they will recognize that the one that they crucified was the one that they spent centuries longing and praying for. I met a man in a shop in Jerusalem. Susan, I remember this. And uh, we were looking at something, I can't remember what it was. And I was explaining how we were Christians and we were pastors. And he, he obviously was a Jewish man. He says, well, we have a saying in, in Jerusalem, he says, that when the Messiah comes, he wouldn't say Jesus. He says, when the Messiah comes, the first question we will ask him is, have you been here before? <laughs> but the, their eyes will be opened. And they'll suddenly realize the one they crucified is the one that these Gentiles are worshipping was the Christ. And that time is coming soon. It's coming soon. Because we are living in the end times. And the Bible tells us, read the times. Watch the times. Not the financial times, not the times newspaper. But just look around and see what's happening. And see what's happening. And Jesus says, these are the signs 
And so all through the, the Bible, there's prophecies of what's going to happen for you to read and see, yes, it must be coming soon. So number one, I've just listed a few of these. Israel rebirthed as a nation, May 14, 1948. I haven't time to look at these scriptures, but if you're taking notes, Isaiah 67, verses 78, Amos, Amos 9, verse 14 to 15, Ezekiel 37, verse 10 to 14, all prophesy that Israel as a nation will be reborn. Here's another reason that we're living in the last days. I've seen this with my very own eyes. The desert blooming and blossoming in Israel. What was a, just a basic desert has now plants and fruit growing out in it. And if you look at Isaiah 35, verse 1, Isaiah 41, verse 18 and 20, it prophesies centuries ago that this would happen. Zephaniah 3, verse 9, prophesies that the Hebrew language would be revived. And that's what's happened in these days that we live. Tells you that nations would rise up against Israel. Zechariah 12, verse 3. These are the signs that we are living in the end times. Another reason is Jews from all around the world are homing in back to Israel. Coming out of African nations, coming out of Russia, coming out from all different nations, going back home. It's like a call that they can't understand. They just need to go home. Why? Because we are living in the end times and Jesus is coming back to Jerusalem. So Jews returning to their homeland prophesied in Jeremiah 16 verses 14 and 15, Isaiah 11 verses 11 to 12, prophesying years, 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 centuries ago that this would happen in this year and last few years. Another sign that Jesus is coming soon is the gospel being preached to all the nations. used to be that we would send people out to places that had never read the Bible, didn't have the Bible translation, didn't understand the gospel. How could they possibly hear globally? Well, Matthew 24, verse 14 said this, And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and the end, the, then the end will come. Jesus himself said that. How can we do that now? Television. Satellite television. I, can, I could now pick up my phone and we could be speaking to a church in Jerusalem, a church in Dallas, a church in New York. We could be speaking to somebody in Africa, somebody in India because of the communication skills that we have in this world. The gospel being preached to all the nations is a sign that Jesus... Is coming soon. Some of you look happy about that fact. Some of you look deeply upset that Jesus might be coming back. <laughs> Seventh reason that I've noted down. Jewish blind eyes being opened. Romans 11.25 Blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. We are grafted in. And one day, the dead wood, which was the, the people who rejected Jesus, will be grafted back in, and their eyes will be opened. And all around the world, Jewish people are starting fellowships, and what we know as churches, 
because they love Jesus, like that one, in the heart of Jerusalem. And it's not the only one by, by any manner of means, all over the place. So you might be thinking, yeah, I don't understand all this. That's okay. Let's just read as we close. Chapter 11, verse 33, and we'll read it in the message. Chapter 11 of Romans. Let me just read it to you. Because Paul understood that all this would blow people's minds. Chapter 11, verse 33. Have you ever come on anything quite like this? The extravagant generosity of God. This deep, deep wisdom. It's way over our heads, Paul says. We'll never figure it out. Is there anyone around who can explain God? Anyone smart enough to tell him what to do? Anyone who has done him such a huge favor that God has to ask him for advice? Everything comes from him. Everything happens through him. Everything ends up in him. To him be glory. To him be praise. And you might be thinking, I don't get some of this. I don't quite understand this. But the one thing I can guarantee you, that when I reach heaven and you reach heaven, you will be and I will be astounded at the goodness of God to me and to you. You will be blown away of what he has arranged for us under the new covenant. Not because of me, but because of his son. He provided a covenant, a testament, a contract, so that I could have a relationship with his father. So that us wild branches the Bible calls us, us Gentiles, can be grafted into a, what the Bible calls a cultivated olive tree. The dead branches that were cut off were the Jews. And one day, because of a God who doesn't break his word, they will be grafted back in. And all of us together will be part of that, what the Bible calls a cultivated olive tree. And instead of us blessing the Jews and thanking them for Jesus, the Jews will bless us Gentiles. Zechariah 8, 13, and verses 20 to 23. They will thank God and thank us for pointing Jesus out to them. So that's Romans 9, 10, and 11 in a nutshell. It's an amazing story of what God has done. How God never breaks a, contact, a contract, a covenant relationship. It's what he's done and what he continues to do today. And also one day what he will do. He will stick to his legal agreements. We as people don't stick to what we have signed up for. What we have given as our oath. People go into court and lie. But God says, I'll stick to every word I've ever said, good and bad. 
And one day, we'll see him face to face. And Romans 14, verse 11 says, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue confess to God. Barack Obama, David Cameron, the guy in Russia, what's his name? Putin. Every leader across the world of every faith, one day, will bow to Jesus. Just think of that. Just think of that. And one day, we'll see, I don't know whether it'll be up there or down here, we'll see Jesus coming and realize, and the Jewish people recognize, that he was the Christ. And he'll come for us and take us to be with him. Brothers and sisters, it's coming soon. It's coming soon. Whatever your theology is, he's coming soon. So we should be ready. We should be ready to receive him. We should make ourselves ready. We should live as though it might be today. An old preacher called Alan Redpath used to get up every morning, and his first prayer was, Lord, maybe today. Maybe today. It puts things in perspective, doesn't it? When you start thinking of eternity, when you start looking at the world as God looks in it, when you start realizing we are in end times, those little worries about the shopping list and what we're having for lunch and where we're going this afternoon and what we're doing tonight and what he said and she said and they did and didn't do, it puts things in perspective. We are not responsible for our family members. We are responsible for us. You're not responsible for me. I'm not, in one sense, responsible for you. One day, I'll meet him face to face. So when we have a face-to-face meeting with somebody, we're not worried about who's around. It's me and him. Me and him. And because of the new covenant, I walk into his presence with fullness of joy, not with trepidation, but with fullness of joy because he sticks to covenants. He sticks to who he is. He'll never let you down. He'll never walk out in you. He'll never say things that you, that you wouldn't want to hear. He sticks to agreements. Okay, we're going to take some worship songs just to have a sacrifice of praise to be offered up. We'll join in this morning with the host of heaven who are already worshiping. Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for your word. Lord, these are big chapters. These are exciting chapters. These show a history of you being a true God, true to your word, never letting us down. Provision all the way. Why are we worried? Why are we fearful when we have such a God? Lord, we commit everything to you. We commit these end times that we are privileged to live in to you. Thank you that you're coming for us soon. Help us to get ready. Help us to get packed. 
Help us to make arrangements so that we're ready to go. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's just stand as we worship. For more information about our church or to access more of our resources, please visit thefreedomcenter.com.